So it's good to see everybody. Uh, there's definitely a little bit more room in the first service. If we can get you to go to that service, we'd appreciate it. Have a feeling this is going to keep growing, and we're excited about that. It's a good problem to have. So I uh, hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. If you're like me, your diet starts tomorrow. And uh, But anyway, if, you're, if you are visiting, we go verse by verse through the Scripture. We pick a book or books of the Bible and just study what the Scripture says. We're going through, we were in Romans last week, we're in John today, and we're going every other week. And we've come to John chapter 8, and it's one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. And it's, it's a story where these mean religious leaders bring a woman who was caught in adultery, and they want to stone her to death. And Jesus does not want to stone her. He wants to give her mercy and grace. I was going to title this, Jesus Was No Stoner. But, uh, <laughs> but that would make some of you a little nervous. <laughs> so I decided to title it, When Justice and Mercy Collide. What do we do with justice and mercy? How do they reconcile each other? The Bible says God is a just God. He will punish sin. But God is a merciful God. So how do we solve that dilemma? And I, I think we can see it here in this famous story. Now, some of you Bible scholars might know and you might wonder, some of you, I had a lady in the first service, she says, hey, that story's not even in my Bible. And this is because the earliest manuscripts that we find do not have this story. And there's a big debate on it. There are scholars who think it shouldn't be in here. There are scholars that think it should be in here because many manuscripts have this story. I will tell you this, they all believe that it, it was a true story. And you might say, well, why wouldn't they want a true story to be in the Bible? Well, there's a lot of true things Jesus did that we don't have a record of. Uh, John's going to tell us in the last chapter that Jesus did so many things that all the books in the world wouldn't, couldn't contain it. One Bible writer can't cover everything Jesus said, everything he did. And people always think there's some conspiracy out there. You know, you got all these people, well, what about the lost books of the Bible? And the, the, the lost books of the Bible are lost because God said, get lost. God sovereignly controlled the Bible being put together. God moved the pen of every person that wrote Scripture so there would be no errors. They would have exactly what God wanted. But not only did he control the writing of it, he controlled it being put together. And he controlled the early church fathers that decided what, what Bible books would be in and what Bible books would be left out. And they were very meticulous about it. And if there was any doubt at all, they would throw it out. So 
We believe that it's God's word. I will tell you this, in studying this, it sure feels like scripture. And all I know is since God is sovereign, even though it's in parentheses in my Bible, telling me the early manuscripts don't have it, it's in my Bible. If God wanted it out, he could have got rid of it. And even, let's imagine, even if it isn't inspired scripture, it's just a true story, it's very biblical. It, it matches up with, with what we know is true scripture for sure. So let's just, let's just look at this today. And, and it, I love this story, and I think it should be in there. And, and yes, we can learn a lesson to not be mean and judgmental like these religious leaders. That's an important point. We, we can learn from this sinful woman that God is a merciful God. And if you're a sinful person battling guilt today, you can know that Jesus wants to forgive you, that he wants to give you mercy and grace. But I think the main focus of this story and throughout, this is the way John wants it in his gospel, is that, is that the, the focus should be on Jesus Christ and who he is. And I want to give you four points about Jesus Christ this morning. I like sermons where I can just magnify him, just lift him up. And that's what I want to do today. And I'm going to make four points and... I've added the word amazing to all my four points. And Luke says this in his gospel, chapter 2, verse 42. And all who heard him, talking about Jesus Christ, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Some translations say they were astounded by Jesus Christ. And I think we should be amazed by Jesus in this story. So four points. Number one, let's see his amazing humility. His amazing humility. Verse 53, at the end of seven, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. You say, where's the humility? Well, everybody else went to their house Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. You know why? Because he didn't have a home. He didn't own a home. This glorious God leaves heaven. He takes on a human body. And when he comes here, he put himself on purpose, on purpose in difficult situation, in a difficult town, in a difficult family. And he did this to sympathize with us, Hebrews says. He's our high priest. He understands what we go through on earth. <clears throat> Matthew 8.20. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, I, I don't have a home. And often, and he went to the Mount, Mount of Olives. That was near Bethany. He often stayed with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, who were his friends. So some people would put him up. But yet Jesus was basically homeless, the king of kings. What humility. Um, let, let's read on. 
It says, verse 2, early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Here comes God. He comes into the temple, and he just sits down and humbly begins to teach. No fanfare, no angelic choir in the sky. He could have done spectacular, he had so much power, he could have done spectacular things to get everyone's attention, but he just sat down like the regular rabbis and humbly taught. And we don't need, listen, we don't need to shoot off fireworks every Sunday to get people to come here. We don't need smoke machines up here on stage. We don't need all that that the worldly churches are doing. We just need to humbly come and worship God and teach the truth of God about His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's a lesson in humility found in Philippians. Verse 4 says of chapter 2, Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. God, Paul says, if you're a true Christian, quit looking at yourself and look out for others like Jesus did. Verse 5, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus, wherever Jesus slept, he woke up every morning facing the cross. He was on death row for 33 years. Yet, in his humility, he would come, lay his life down, let sinful people crucify him, mock him, spit on him to save them from their sin. Listen, that is amazing humility, and it will never be matched by anyone ever again. Number two. Let's get to the story here, and let, I want you to see his amazing wisdom. Verse 3 of John 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. The scribes and the Pharisees, some Bible translations call them the teachers of the law. These were the religious bigwigs of the day. And the scribes, actually, they, God used them, even the unbelieving scribes, he used them because all they did all day long was copy Scripture. And that's why when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found all kinds of copies of Scripture. Amazing. We have, people don't realize, we have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that prove the Bible true. And we study books in college, they have very little manuscripts, but everybody teaches it like it's a fact. But everybody wants a doubt. 
Jesus Christ. And that's because they realize if Jesus is true, you got to give your life to him or else. And they don't want to do that. So they try to get rid of him. But these scribes would copy scripture, study scripture. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they would explain scripture. But the problem was they didn't stick to scripture. So they added all kinds of man-made religious rules that God never wanted to burden people with. And you might have been to a church when you were young. They've got all these man-made rules that you are supposed to follow, and they're not in the Bible. And this is what they were like. And they were always looking to catch somebody uh, breaking their man-made rules. And they really, in studying this, I found out they really didn't execute somebody for a thousand years. And they weren't really worried about adultery. You know, want to know why? Because a lot of them were committing adultery. And the Romans had taken charge of execution. The Jews were not allowed. That's why they conspired with the Romans to get Jesus put on the cross. But here they come. They, they, they're using this poor woman, putting her on display, dragging her in, exposing her sin when they themselves were just as sinful and not more sinful as this woman because what they were doing was evil, evil. And they want to trap Jesus. Now, what do you say? And see, they knew if Jesus, if Jesus said, hey, you need to have mercy on her, they would have said, see, and the crowd would have said, see, he doesn't even believe in the law of Moses. But if Jesus said, yeah, that's what the Bible says, uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and stone her to death. That would ruin his reputation of being a friend to sinners and offering forgiveness and salvation. So they thought they had him trapped. They didn't realize this, this person had the wisdom that created the universe. Colossians says he's full of all treasures of wisdom. And they, they could not stump him. They could not trap him. They thought it was a dilemma that he couldn't answer. I want to show you this first. Let's talk a little bit about justice. Because Leviticus 20.10 says this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That is God's law. That's not a man-made law. The seventh commandment of the Big Ten, thou shalt not commit adultery. And this is a dilemma. Because Jesus said he came to fulfill Scripture. He came to obey Scripture. How, how is he not going to obey this? And what they did not understand was Jesus Christ. And many people in our world don't know this. Jesus Christ made that law. That was his law. And God had meticulous laws for the people of Israel. Why? Because he loved them. 
and he was trying to preserve them. If you've ever been a part, if you, if you know anybody that's been a part of adultery, or if, if you have friends that have been in on that, or that happened to you, you know how painful that is. And again, God always gave laws that were good for people, and he was trying to protect them from that pain that sometimes ruins families. And this was justice. And here's the thing. Uh, You say, man, that was pretty cruel to have somebody that cheated on somebody. They're going to stone them in the street. Well, guess what? Nobody committed adultery. (laughs) They were too afraid of the law. And sometimes, and this is why, you want to know why we have so much craziness going on in our world? Because nobody wants laws. And everybody just wants to let everybody off the hook. And that's why all this stuff just grows like a cancer. So justice is a very good thing. And God demands justice. So what's he going to do about it? How, what, what's he going to do about a law that he wrote? And this woman was clearly guilty. Let's see what happens here. The last part of verse 6 says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now this is amazing. It's amazing wisdom. First of all, what did Jesus write on the ground? You, you think I'm, I'm going to tell you that, right? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say. We don't have any video of it, okay? Uh, people speculate. <laughs> there are all kinds of speculations. Some people say Jesus was writing the names of their girlfriends who they committed adultery with on the ground. That would have been funny, wouldn't it? Or he was just writing all their sins that they committed. As they were about to stone this woman, he's not paying any attention to them. He's writing on the ground. Some people think, and this is interesting, there's only one other time Scripture talks about God writing. And you know what God wrote? It says the finger of God wrote what? The the Ten Commandments. The finger of God. And here's the finger of God in human flesh writing on the ground. Maybe he just started writing the commandments like, guys, you're not telling me anything new because it was my finger that wrote wrote the commandments in the first place. We don't know. I think it's possible that these guys were in a frenzy. They thought they had Jesus trapped. They were all stressed out. And I'm gonna tell you something. When you are a judgmental person, and you're stressed out about all the people that are doing wrong in the world, it will stress you out and drive you crazy. And I think they were just such in a frenzy, and they were so stressed, Jesus wasn't stressed at all. I think he was just doodling in the ground. You guys don't even faze me. But then he says, with incredible wisdom, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And it, it blew them away. 
because they knew they were sinners. And they knew they could not stone her. What incredible wisdom. And here's, here's where justice and mercy collide. Jesus is a God of justice. Jesus is the judge. Everybody will stand before Jesus. You will either get justice or you will get mercy. But if you don't settle out of court, if you don't come to the cross in the grace of Jesus Christ, you will get justice. If you bow before the cross, if you come to Jesus and admit your guilt and admit you're a sinner, you'll get mercy. And, and that's how God solves the dilemma. Because Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins shall die. That's it. person that sins, they're going to die physically, guaranteed, and they are going to die Spiritually, they're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. But Lamentations gives us the gospel in the Old Testament. says, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So God says there's, there's coming justice. But God is merciful and at the cross of Jesus Christ, justice and mercy collided. And mercy won. Because God, the justice of our sin, the punishment that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve, was placed upon Christ. That's the justice. God doesn't just let everybody off the hook. You got people, oh, God's a loving God. He's just going to let me in. Don't work that way. There must be justice. And the justice was placed upon Jesus, but it displayed his mercy because he willingly laid his life down and died for you and me so our sins could be forgiven. <laughs> that is just amazing wisdom and, and just amazing love. Justice collided with mercy and mercy won. James, the book of James says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we have been given this great mercy, shouldn't we be merciful to others? Shouldn't we drop our stones from wanting to stone everybody who we think sin is worse than ours? Yes. If you're a true Christian and God has given you mercy, you should have mercy upon everyone. Doesn't mean that you never speak against what is wrong. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He always told the truth. He never compromised truth. But he was also full of grace. We, as a Christians, as a pastor, I must always give you the truth and never compromise the truth. But the truth that I preach to you must be full of grace. And when I tell you the truth that you're a sinner and you're going to be separated from God from all of eternity, then come to Christ. That's the truth. But here's the grace. He loves you so much. And he came, left heaven to die in your place. Amazing wisdom. Verse 3, we see amazing power. Amazing power in verse 9. 
But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. This is not, this is not power like we could talk about Jesus' power. He could speak to a hurricane and make it be quiet. Jesus could speak to demons and they, they fled and were away. He speak to dead people and raised them to life. What power? Power over disease. We see his amazing power. This power was spiritual convicting power. They were gripped with conviction. They were speechless. They didn't know what to do. And they dropped their stones and walked away. They couldn't take the conviction of it. <laughs> like God says, they started with the older ones. What, what does that mean? Well, the older you are, the more of a sinner you realize you are. And the older you are, the more sins you've committed in your life. And so the old guys were like, we're, we're done. We've sinned. And the woman was left there by herself. They were blown away with amazing spiritual power. John 16, 8 says, when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit works on people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. Before we ever got this church building here, God was working on people in Northport with his spirit, convicting them of the sin in their life. Maybe convicting them. Maybe they're, they're empty. Maybe they're getting close to death and think, hey, where am I going to be when I die? And the Holy Spirit will do that and bring you to church and draw you here so you can hear the good news that Jesus wants to save you. And that's why we need to pray for Northport, that God's convicting spirit would draw people here and we can tell them the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. And then fourth and finally, and this is my favorite point, amazing grace. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ. I think somebody wrote a song, didn't they? Yeah, because his, his, his grace is truly amazing. Verse 10 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. The amazing grace of Christ. Jesus is the judge. Jesus wrote the Old Testament law. And he was the only one, that the judge that could choose whether or not he wanted to give her justice and mercy. And he didn't give her justice. You know why? Because Jesus knew he was going to the cross to be her justice. And so he gave her amazing grace. Uh, you know, one, one thing I forgot to say, it kind of stands out to me. Some of you ladies might be wondering, where was the man? You know, why well, picking on this poor lady? Where was the man, right? Yeah, ladies are like, get those men, man, they're always, you know. <laughs> calm down, calm down. We got counseling for that. Um, <laughs> 
But what, what hypocrisy, what hypocrisy. It was all a setup. They were using this woman to try to trap Jesus. But all they did was learn a lesson about where justice and mercy collide, mercy wins when you come to Jesus Christ. And in, and in closing, well, let me say this first. Jesus says, uh, I like how she calls him Lord. I like that. That means God. Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. That's beautiful. A great verse. We already studied this. Romans 8. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do you realize the magnitude of that? Because without Christ Jesus, we would be condemned for all of eternity. And this is why we sing. This is why we come to church. We come to worship Jesus Christ for him giving our life. We don't come here, pat ourselves on the back, oh, we're the good people because we came to church. No, no, no. We are People in need of Christ's saving grace. And then, final point. Final point. You need to underline the last part of verse 11. Because there's a lot of unbelievers and there's a lot of people in this world that love this story. They love quoting it to the Christians. You guys need to be more like Jesus because you just need to let, don't quit talking about anybody's sin, just leave them in their sin because Jesus just loves them the way they are. No, Jesus gave her grace and forgiveness, but he also gave her a command to go and sin no more. Jesus just doesn't give forgiveness, he gives transformation transformation and this is why we want to be like Jesus we're going to welcome sinners but we need to let these sinners understand come to Christ and you get forgiveness but you have to go and sin no more and we do that with grace um, for years I've said in my sermons that that the church isn't a hotel for saints it's a hospital for sinners, right? And now, of course, if you read the book of Ephesians, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. There is no in-between. When you come to Christ, God makes you a saint. God sees you as sinless. But in our human bodies, we still battle sin. And so we welcome sinners. We are a hospital. But remember what a hospital does. It fixes people. You don't stay the same when you go to the hospital because they fix you. The church's job, we are hospital workers. We welcome people to come. We don't judge. What, the hospital doesn't judge people for what they're doing or not doing. They just fix them up. And we are in the business of helping people go and sin no more. When I was 18 years old and walked into a church, I, had, I, I was such a sinful mess. And I remember when I first walked into the church, some people looked like, what is he doing here? But I had real Christians that welcomed me, and they taught me, and they discipled me, and they helped me overcome 
my sinful life. That's what the church does. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ, Jesus, from the law of sin and death. You are under the law of sin and death, under condemnation. But you're now free when you come to Christ and he puts his spirit in you, Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the gospel, the good news is God wants to forgive you, but yes, then he helps you overcome your sin. And, and the world out there saying, no, nah, we can do whatever we want. Uh, you, you know what the, I think one of the devil's favorite Bible verses is? Do not judge or you'll be judged. Because you got everybody quoting that verse and they don't understand it. Of course we're not to be hypocrites and condemning everybody. But yes, we are to teach the truth of the Bible. And you got to tell people that they've sinned. And part of coming to Christ is turning from your sin. It's called repentance. That was the message Jesus taught. But people pick and choose the Bible. And I think this what's so good about a church that when we go verse by verse through the Bible, we get the balance. We, we, we study a passage and we go, wow, we see how we got to turn from sin. And then we look at a passage today and go, wow, God's going to give us mercy and grace. So two things I'll say in closing. Drop your stones. Drop your stones. Stop being a finger pointer. Stop thinking everybody else's sin is worse than your sin. And remember, the cross gives you mercy. And I would also say to you here, if you, if you stumbled in here today, you've been visiting. Holy Spirit's been working on you. Maybe you have lived a sinful life. And I'm not judging you because I was there. But you feel guilty. You feel like you just can't wash it off. And you don't know what to do. You just wish, I wish I could start my life over again. You can it's at the foot of the cross. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, and I will help you to go and sin no more. Pray with me this morning. Pray with me, and you pray, you pray. You could be, I don't know where you fit into this story. You could find yourself a Christian, but you've been judgmental. You've been stressed out over it. You're always wanting to point out everybody else's fault. And you're not really seeing your own sin in your own life. You need to start there. Just pray for the others. God will work on them. But you need to let God work on you first. And if you have sinned, and you feel guilty. Jesus wants to take your guilt away. He put that sin upon himself on that cross. And he put your guilt there too. And he wants you to let it go. And, and the, the only way to let it go is you give it to him. You put, place it upon him. Because he says, place it upon me. Come to me, he says, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. Forgiveness. Grace. Mercy. 
Father, thank you, God, for bringing these dear people to church today. Thank you, God, for just the way you're moving here in this new building. Last week was just, I don't know if we could ever duplicate it, God. Thank you for giving us such a special day of celebration. There was so much love in this place for one another. So much praise for you for all that you've done. God, help us to build on that now. God, we pray that we would always preach the truth of your word and we would always preach the grace of your word too. Let us go out today and be gracious to others. Thank you for your word. Thank you for church. God, as we sing, I pray that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.